Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Well, we are on a series called the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's a book for me. Uh, We are seeing, as we're going through this series, how Jesus looked at the Old Testament. That was his Bible. And he accepted everything in the Old Testament at face value. He didn't try to twist it around. You know, he believed that Jonah was in the whale for, for three days. And, you know, he accepted, he believed Sodom and Gomorrah, all of that really happened. And, and we're seeing that. And now today... Uh, Jesus has some things to say about the Queen of Sheba. And so we're going back to see who was this famous queen. I've never preached on her before. Fascinating uh, person. And uh, hopefully um, the Lord will be speaking to us today as we travel through these, uh, this passage in 1 Kings. And also as we see in the New Testament what Jesus had to say about her. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just ask now, Lord, that you would guide our thoughts and our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, that uh, as we uh, just step back in time, some 3,000 years, to when this famous queen came and visited King Solomon and heard about Yahweh God, the God of Israel, the one true God. Lord, I pray that we would have the same reverence for you, the same love for you, the same adoration for you that she had. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Less than two weeks ago, Gina Lola Brigida ran for senator in her native Italy. Now, I had looked online just to see if she was alive, She is uh, very much still alive, 95 years old, ran for senator, uh, lost, only received 1% of the vote. But you got to give her credit for getting in there, right? 95 years old. I was surprised since she starred in a movie that came out in 1959 when I was still in diapers. Solomon and Sheba. Her co-star was Yul Brynner, who also played Pharaoh in the Ten Commandments. The movie was a box office success, but widely criticized since it didn't follow the Bible. Of course, that's no surprise today, but that was considered scandalous back in 1959. In the movie, the Queen of Sheba is an ally of Egypt. No evidence for that. And she goes to Israel to seduce King Solomon. No evidence for that either, that there was any romance between the two, even though this has become a fixture in the history of Ethiopia. Ethiopia claims the famous queen as their own, and they claim her child with King Solomon became part of the royal line of Ethiopia even to this day. And they also claim that the queen's servants stole the Ark of the Covenant from Israel 
and today the ark is buried somewhere in Ethiopia. Again, little historical support for any of that, but we really can't rule it out either. Actually, the Queen of Sheba is more likely to have originated from the peninsula where Saudi Arabia is today. There are strong historical ties associated with present Yemen, which borders Saudi Arabia to the south. Yemeni ancestors were called Sabaeans, and their kingdom was called Saba or Sheba. Interestingly, the Sabaeans also had a reputation of being expert traders, with spices being one of their leading products, especially frankincense and myrrh. It's also fascinating to know the Sabaeans had a strong tradition of female leadership. In fact, this was quite common among the Arabs before they were impacted by Islam. All of this is important for us to know because it adds credibility to the biblical account. You see, part of the rationale for the Queen of Sheba's visit to King Solomon was likely to develop trade. The potential economic benefits were well worth the 3,000-mile round trip that likely took at least six months. But the Old Testament account states, and Jesus highlights, that the Queen of Sheba also came for reasons other than developing trade. According to 1 Kings chapter 10, her visit was accompanied by curiosity, humility, generosity, and sincerity. This is why Jesus cited her as a marvelous example of those who affirm faith in God, even though the evidence is far less than what was given to the Pharisees. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees asked Jesus to do yet another miracle to prove his messianic credentials. And in verse 42, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. And he says this, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment, the last judgment, with this generation and condemn it. Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. Four traits marked the Queen of Sheba's visit. The first was her curiosity in seeking God. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have a curiosity in seeking God? 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1 says, When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. The Hebrew text literally says, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahweh, she came to test him. What drew her to Solomon was his connection with the name of Yahweh, especially his connection with the temple that he had built for the worship of Yahweh God, the one true God who created the universe. Certainly hearing of one God who reigns over all must have pricked the interest and the curiosity 
of the Queen of Sheba. After all, it was very common in the ancient world to have many gods. Some historians have cataloged 2,870 distinct deities since the beginning of recorded history. Zeus, Jupiter, Mars, Odin, Thor, Krishna, Vishnu, Ra, those are just a few of the 2,000 gods. And if you're a Hindu, there are even more gods, even up to 330 million, although no one has attempted to try to name them. Now, in contrast to other ancient cultures, the Jews insisted there is one God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Certainly, that must have intrigued the Queen of Sheba. What do you mean, having only one God? And why would the smartest man on the planet believe such a thing? And why on earth would he build such a lavish temple for this Yahweh God? She had to see it for herself. Maybe she was born in Missouri, the show-me state. The Queen of Sheba was not one for rumors and legends and fairy tales. She wanted to hear about this famous king and his famous temple and his famous God firsthand. So she and her companions loaded their camels and they were off to see the wizard. <laughs> That's basically what they were doing. You ever heard about the Wizard of Oz, right? And why did they go? Because, because of the wonderful things he does. Essentially, that's what the Queen of Sheba set off to do, to see if the rumors and the legends and the tales of this famous king were actually true or not. Now, let me ask you this question today. Have you ever realized that your curiosity is a gift from God? Ever since I was a toddler, I've been curious. My mom said I ask questions all day long. Even to this day, I bring a book nearly everywhere I go. If I have a little downtime, I'm reading and exploring and striving to understand new stuff. When we're on a driving trip, my curiosity often leads me off the interstate, driving through these little towns. I remember taking my mom up to northwest North Dakota, where she grew up, and uh, we found ourselves asking ourselves, why on earth would my grandparents want to live up here in the middle of a big field? Many of you also are insatiably curious. And you know what? That's a gift. It's a gift from God. We see this all over the Bible. It was curiosity that sent Moses to check out the burning bush. Exodus 3.3, he says, I'm going to go and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? So he did that. And you know what? He met God. God spoke to him through the burning bush. Or take Genesis chapter 15 when curiosity 
got the best of Abraham, who asked God, how are you going to do this, God? How are you going to give a son when I'm an old man married to an old woman? And God spoke to him and assured him, Abraham, you're going to have millions of descendants, and those descendants are going to live in the promised land in Canaan. Or take Luke chapter 2, when a group of shepherds looked at each other and said, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And because of their curiosity, they saw the face of God in the form of a little baby destined to change the world. Or take Acts chapter 8, when an Ethiopian government official visited Jerusalem and started reading the book of Isaiah about the coming Messiah. And this government official ends up asking a complete stranger, a guy named Philip, who is this prophet I'm reading about? This guy named Isaiah. And what on earth is he talking about? And Philip led him to Jesus, and his life was changed forever. Heartland family, your curiosity is a blessing from God. It's a gift from God, and it causes you to seek him. That's what happened to the Queen of Sheba, and it led to a 3,000-mile road trip. And in the process, she met the Creator, the God who reigns on high. So the first trait the queen had was curiosity. The second trait was humility. In listening to wisdom, she humbled herself and opened her mind to listen to wisdom. Is that something that you're willing to do? 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1 says, She came to test Solomon with hard questions. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. You see, one of the problems that kings and queens have wrestled with down through history is no one's able to challenge them. Their word was considered the law of the land, which ended up being a big problem if you had a fool for a king or queen. The queen of Sheba, however, was not a fool. She knew what she didn't know. She knew that she was missing something. And you know what? That's the first step in being ready to listen. One of the problems we as Americans have had is we've had so much success, we think we have the world by the tail. We're the most educated society in the history of the world. We have all of these distinguished degrees, doctorates and master's degrees and bachelor's degrees. And we've built all of these amazing businesses and we enjoy all of our wonderful luxuries that previous generations could only dream about. And you know what? As a culture, we become filled with pride and a know-it-all attitude. That's what the rest of the world thinks of us. Do you have any friends and family members that are know-it-alls? 
They think they've got all the answers and they're ready to give you a list of do's and don'ts for any problem that you mention to them. Amazingly, Queen of Sheba wasn't like that. She was obviously wealthy. She may have been very beautiful. That's what tradition says anyway. And yet, she knew she was missing something. Do you know that you're missing something? If you haven't made Jesus the king of your life, you're missing the most important thing of all. But even if you are a devoted follower of Christ, you know what? You're always missing something. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. On this earth, all of us only know in part. That means that all of us are lifelong learners. We're always in process. We never quite arrive. You see, one of the reasons America has become so susceptible to deception is because we've become a nation of biblical illiterates. The pollster George Barna says, we as a nation know less about the Bible than any previous generation in America. Fewer than half of all adults in America can name the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 12% of adults think Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Even those who profess Christ can identify more than two of the disciples. And there were 12, of course. 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And yet another survey indicated that a high percentage of Americans thought the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. The problem's obvious, isn't it? Americans revere the Bible, but they don't read it. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. But it's not. Here's what's really interesting. 81% of those who identify as born-again Christians also thought it was a Bible verse. So that means born-again Christians did better on the survey by 1%. So let's be honest. We all struggle with this. I found myself much more eager to read a book than read the Bible. And you know what that is? It's pride. It's gathering knowledge for myself instead of wisdom from God. The same is true of prayer. When we don't carve out time for prayer, what are we saying? We're, say, we're telling God, hey God, I can handle this one. You know, I, I, I don't really need you on this one, Lord. The queen of Sheba knew what she didn't know. She knew that she was missing something. Is that true of you? Now let's move to the third trait that the queen displayed, which was generosity in sacrificing treasure. 
Are you marked by generosity? 1 Kings 10.10 details what the queen offered as a gift to King Solomon. It says, she gave the king 120 talents of gold. You know how much that is? Four and a half tons. 9,000 pounds. Plus a large quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Now it's interesting that 2 Chronicles 9 tells us a fact that we don't find in the 1 Kings 10 account of the queen's visit. In this passage it says, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for. He gave her more than she had brought to him. The 1 Kings 10 account implies that Solomon reciprocated with a generous gift, but it doesn't specify that it was actually greater than what the queen had given him. Now, of course, the queen had no way of knowing if Solomon would do this or not. After all, there were many nations that paid tribute to Solomon. He ruled over the largest land area of any Israelite king, including over many vassal states that filled his treasury. Solomon had a large army. He was willing to, ready to squelch dissent at any moment. So the queen had no way of knowing whether Solomon would simply take her gifts and send her home empty-handed. But in this instance, Solomon adopts a role as the forerunner of the Messiah. And you know what the Messiah does? The Messiah freely shares the rich bounty of his kingdom. In short, the queen learned that you cannot outgive the one true God of the universe. Have you learned that lesson? Have you learned that you cannot outgive God? Actually, this lesson is taught from one end of the Bible to the other. Take Deuteronomy chapter 28, for instance. The entire chapter can be summed up very simply. There will be blessings if you obey God, and there will be curses if you don't. This was a lesson the nation of Israel had to learn over and over again. Throughout the books of Joshua, and then the book of Judges, and then when we get into 1 Samuel, we're reminded right at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, God simply sends this. He who honors me, I will honor. Do you remember that famous scene in the movie Chariots of Fire? When British sprinter Eric Little declines to run on Sunday in the 1924 Olympics, true story. Despite pressure from the British royals to put his convictions aside, Eric would not run the 100 meter an event where he was the favorite. Can you imagine that happening today? Instead, Eric chose to run that coming Thursday in an event where he wasn't favored, the 400 meter. One of the American runners, Jackson Schultz, was so impressed, he hands Eric a note before the race, and it says on there, the good book says, he who honors me, I will honor. And Eric goes out, shocks the world by winning the gold. Have you learned that lesson? 
I am so thankful. My dad and grandpa taught me that principle as a young boy, that you cannot outgive God. Better yet, my dad modeled this. I saw the checks he wrote. <laughs> Every building campaign we ever did, dad always gave one of the early lead gifts because he knew that you cannot outgive God. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. You cannot outgive God. When the queen loaded up her caravan with more stuff than she had brought, she learned that important lesson. Now this brings us to the fourth trait that the queen displayed. She displayed sincerity in worshiping Yahweh. <clears throat> In 1 Kings 10, 9, the queen says to King Solomon, praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness now it is true that this passage alone does not conclusively point to the truth that the queen became a follower of Yahweh. Based on the words of 1 Kings 10 and 2 Chronicles 9, we can't say absolutely for sure that the queen of Sheba will be in heaven. But I would maintain that the fact that Jesus cited her as an example of true faith, and he did that to the Pharisees, I would say that fact alone tips the scales in the direction of her being a devoted follower of Yahweh. I'm looking forward to visiting with her in heaven. After all, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the last judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. You see, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees with these words. He's pointing out that a pagan Gentile queen came to believe in Yahweh, the God of Israel, on far less evidence than you, the Pharisees, were given. Pastor John MacArthur says of the Pharisees, they will one day stand condemned even by the faith of Gentiles. I mean, think about it. The Pharisees had every advantage God could possibly give them. They were children of Abraham. They were heirs of the promised land. They were descendants of Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Samuel and David and Solomon. Their Jewish forefathers were the authors of Scripture and they, the Jewish people, had carefully copied and preserved the scriptures. The Pharisees grew up with a scroll in their hand. They not only read and studied the scriptures, they memorized large parts of it. And in contrast to Moses and David and Solomon, they had access to the entire Old Testament. And it was written in Hebrew, their native tongue. And it had also been translated into Greek over two centuries earlier. It was so ingrained in their memory 
they could recite it in their sleep. And on top of that, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were well acquainted with him. They knew all about this upstart Nazarene. They had seen him perform umpteen miracles, even healing every single person in a given village. They saw more miracles firsthand than are recorded in the entire rest of the Bible. In short, the Pharisees had no excuses. But despite all of that mountain of evidence piled around them, they were virtually unanimous in rejecting Jesus. Only a handful of Pharisees, such as Nicodemus, such as Joseph of Arimathea, chose to follow Christ. I close with this. Jesus is impressed with the Queen of Sheba because she worshiped Yahweh with only a fraction of the evidence that the Pharisees were given. And yet the fact of the matter is today, you and I have been given even greater evidence than the Pharisees. You know why? We have access to the whole story, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Pharisees were clueless about what would happen next. They didn't know the whole story. The Pharisees didn't know that Jesus was destined to come twice. Once as a suffering servant to die on a cross to purchase our freedom from sin. And then a second time he would come to destroy the works of the devil and set up his kingdom. They didn't know that. But you do. You know that. The Pharisees didn't know that Jesus would rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. They didn't know that but you do. The Pharisees didn't know that the followers of Jesus would grow into a mighty army that would one day number hundreds of millions and they would be spread out over every corner of the planet. The Pharisees did not know that, but you do. The Pharisees didn't know that it, their fellow Jewish people would be scattered to the ends of the earth after their temple would be destroyed. And then, 2,000 years later, they would be regathered to the promised land in fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham and, a pro and dozens of other prophecies. They didn't know any of that, that there would one day be an Israel full of Jews like we see today. They didn't know that. But you do. The truth is that any resident of the United States of America had far more evidence that Jesus Christ is our Savior from sin and the King of the universe, far more evidence than the Pharisees had. As Josh McDowell says, I found evidence. When he was looking for it, when he was an atheist, he said there was evidence in abundance. I had to admit that the Old and New Testament documents were some of the most reliable writings in all of antiquity. The truth is that you and I, folks, we don't have any excuse. 
We have no excuse for buying into all of the falsehoods that are being propagated today. Falsehoods about abortion. We have no excuse for not holding firmly to life. All of the baloney about homosexuality. We have no excuse. It's taught over and over again, 11 books of the Bible, that this is sin and it grieves the heart of God. We have no excuse for not believing that. We have no excuse for believing all this transgenderism as the Bible affirms over and over again that God made you male and female. That is not your choice. We have no excuse for not believing that. We have no excuse for not believing all of the political correctness that we see today. And friends, we have no excuse for selling our souls to the God of materialism. We have no excuse for spending every waking moment worshiping the almighty dollar. We have no excuse for not going to church. No excuse for not worshiping the Lord. No excuse for not studying his word. With God's people, we need that. You need to be in a small group of other believers, face-to-face, not Facebook-to-Facebook, face-to-face, looking in each other's eyes and studying the word of God together and applying it to your life. You're not in one of those? Folks, you have no excuse. No excuse for that. Today, you can be like the Queen of Sheba. Today, you can change the course of your life. When she and her entourage got on their camels and they rode out of Jerusalem after encountering the great Solomon, they were never the same for the rest of their lives. Will you truly seek God's truth like she did? 